If you follow my guest tonight on social media, you'll see that, like me, he has an undying love for pumpkin spice. So, Frank Gogol, what is your favorite pumpkin spice item? Ooh, that is, that's honestly not an easy question because I feel like every year there's, there's something new added to the, the sort of repertoire. Um, like this year, I haven't tried them yet and I might not, but uh, Trader Joe's has like a, a pumpkin spice empanada and some, some uh, pumpkin spice samosa, like it just or, like these really weird pumpkin spice takes on ethnic foods. Um, but if I had to pick a favorite, I, I mean, honestly, just, just a classic, like regular pumpkin spice latte. Like that's, that's what got me started. That's what I look forward to every year. I like, I like it all, but yeah, just call me basic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm basically the same way. Yeah. I've got to have a pumpkin spice latte every year. I've, because of quarantine, I've kind of started to embrace iced coffee just in general. So like I've been drinking a lot of pumpkin spice iced coffee. Uh, but yeah, short of like pumpkin spice guacamole just give it all to me yeah i mean i'll, I'll try anything once um uh, interestingly though this year uh just because it's still pretty warm here in san francisco i've been doing more of the uh the starbucks pumpkin cold brew mm -hmm. sort of the, the cold brew coffee with the pumpkin cream on top and that's that's been getting me through like this those daily walks up the block to starbucks a little bit of routine back in my life <laughs> there you go You're listening to The Geek Awakens with Mitch, Matt, Tabitha, Lydia, and Ticket. All right, so tonight I'm joined by uh, Frank Gogol, author, author of Grief, uh, Dead End Kids, and No Heroin. Uh, Frank, how's it going? Man, in like a, like a grand sense or just like, you know that question you ask people because it's nice. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> things are all right. Yeah. 2020 is a, a crapshoot and terrible in, in so many ways. Uh, but all things considered, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. My wife is healthy. My family's doing okay. I, I'm still working. Thank God. Um, and, and my, my comics are, are still coming out and connecting with people. And that's really all I can ask for. Yeah. Uh, all things considered. Yeah. That's, that's an A plus. So, uh, speaking of comics, uh, not to bury the lead here, there's a reason why we're talking today. And also, we did record this a few weeks ago, back in mid-September. You're going to hear this in early October. Uh, so anybody, for anyone who hasn't heard about your announcement from earlier this week, what is your big news? That I have just invented time travel, and we are doing this in the past and the present, and possibly in the future. Uh, no, uh, on Tuesday of this week, uh, or last week, depending on when people hear this, uh, we announced a follow-up book to uh, my 2019 book, Dead End Kids. Uh, so this is Dead End Kids, The Suburban Job. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, now this is not a direct sequel to the original Dead End Kids. Uh, was it always going to be a completely new story, or was there ever a plan to revisit the original characters? You know, uh, for, I don't want to spoil the first line for anyone who might want to check it out after this interview. Uh, but generally, uh, there there was no ever any plan in place to do more dead end kids. Uh, if you read the first volume, the the ending has a pretty good pin in it. It's it's pretty definitive, and, and it's done in such a way that it'd be hard to kind of do an exciting story with that cast of characters again uh, without sort of like taking away from the ending of the first one. Uh, that said, uh, the first book really popped off in a way that 
I didn't expect and that source point press didn't expect and that retailers didn't expect. Um, and probably sometime between the first and second issue coming out, um, retailers started asking, are you going to do more of this? Uh, what, where's the fourth issue? What's, what's happening with that? And then shortly after that source point came to me and said, if you're interested in doing more, we would publish more, uh, which is definitely something you want to hear, but not on a book. You didn't write it in such a way that you could do it. Um, so I, I, I kind of left it a little open-ended at first and said, you know, if, the, if I think of a story that I like and that I want to tell, I'll do more. Um, and, I, and I spent some time um, kind of away from the idea. I went and I wrote uh, this year's book, No Heroin, and I did a couple other things uh, and really kind of lived with the idea for a bit. Um, and, and two things kind of happened. Um, every time I write a book, I need to have like an angle into it that's like something personal to me or something kind of uh, poignant to say or, or explore. Like, you know, childhood trauma was a big, you know, exploration point in the first volume. Um, and, and I needed to have that. And I also needed to have like the right story. Um, and kind of where we landed was with this sort of true detective take on the, uh, the series that could kind of be a good story engine if we wanted to do a third or fourth or fifth volume someday. Um, but essentially each volume is standalone in that it's set in a different time period and a different place with a different cast. Um, but when you watch, you know, each season of True Detective, you can tell that they belong to the same series. They have the same kind of aesthetic values and, and the same storytelling uh, sort of sensibilities. Uh, and that's kind of what we brought to the suburban job in Dead End Kids too. It's, it's a new cast in a new place and a different time period, but anyone who read the first book will instantly recognize it from Nanette's art or the, the, the narration style that I brought to the first volume as being the, the, the next in the series. Yeah, and and I got a chance to preview the first issue, and you're absolutely right. Like I, you know, like not even midway through, I'm like, yes, this is the you know the, the same series, and you know it's you know I in for you know just a huge as much of a fun ride as the first one. I'm in for the same fun ride with with the sequel. Uh, so the beginning of Dead End Kids, the suburban job takes us back to a moment that a lot of Americans are never going to forget, which is 9-11. Uh, why did you decide to use that moment as a starting point? Well, well like I was just saying a minute ago, uh, I, I needed to have an angle into the story that made it personal and, and was something that I wanted to reflect on and, and look at a little bit. Um, and, and while I am pretty close in age to the kids who are in Dead End Kids Volume 1. Um, I, I am a little bit younger than they would be today. Uh, so I was kind of telling a story that was a little bit out of my depth um, in a lot of ways. And, and I, was, I was about the age that the kids in, in the suburban job are when 9-11 happened. Uh, well, no, that's not true. They're much younger. But when the story picks up, I'm, I'm the same age. So it's kind of like, for me, I was, I was 14 when it happened, or just about to be 14, um, and exploring sort of like that, that adolescent, you know, early teenage experience of having lived through that and, and dealt with that is something that I've done a little bit of and, and, and have had almost 20 years to kind of reflect on. And it's something that I realized, you know, 19 years later, because uh, we just had the, the anniversary about last week um, as of this recording, uh, like I just, you know, it's something that kind of like really puzzles me and I, I still don't know if I've processed completely and, and writing a book that kind of dealt with uh, 
sort of the emotional fallout for 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 teenagers and kids uh, was it seemed like the right angle because it was something that I was interested in and looking at. Um, so the the book opens um, with a uh, you know with nine eleven happening. Uh, there's there's a great really just captured in one image splash page at the beginning of the book that Nina absolutely nailed. Um, and then the book flash forwards uh, seven years uh, to 2008 and we catch up with these, these 14, 15 year olds who were very young when, when the attacks happened and we see like how that one day and, and what happened on it sort of rippled forward and has affected their lives moving forward. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because my, my wife and I are a few years apart. Uh, she's uh, three and a half years younger than me. And we grew up on opposite coasts. I grew up in a small town in New Jersey where I can look across the, the bay to see lower Manhattan. And she grew up in San Francisco, about as far away from Manhattan as you could be. And, and our experiences of, of that day are just, just so different. Um, and, and it's something we've talked about a lot over the last you know, five, six years we've been together. And it's just, it's always stuck with me. And again, like I said, I, I wasn't sure where, where I landed on it sort of emotionally and psychologically. And it, it's been a really long time. And, and to this day, like I still see almost everything in our world is kind of like rippled out from that, like from legislation to, to, you know, little things in my own life. And like, so like on the grand scale and on the small scale. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just like the right angle into the story for me. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you're, 100%. I mean, it's, it's weird looking back on it, too, because it's like, with 9-11, you can, with just about anything, you can kind of tell, like, if it happened pre or post, you know, it's like, it's it, with a lot of things, it's kind of like night and day with, you know, how much like 9-11 affected everything. Yeah. So the, uh, the three protagonists of the suburban job, they all come from different backgrounds. Uh, what's the process like for you to create these characters that are on the surface very different from one another? For this book in particular, which was a little bit different than how I'd normally go about building out my cast, um, I, I kind of settled on three specific kind of ripple effect trauma point type scenarios that I wanted to kind of touch on and, and, and shed a little light on. Um, and those are what it's like to... Um, be the child of uh, a first responder who, who died on the scene um, on Ground Zero. Uh, one is the brother of a soldier who has died in Afghanistan uh, pretty recently to the story happening. Um, and the, the third character, Amna, is uh, a Middle Eastern American, uh, Pakistani American uh, young woman who is dealing with sort of the, the racial tension uh, ripples that that have kind of permeated everything ever since um and kind of like what those different experiences are um and kind of it's in a lot of ways uh the suburban job is kind of like anti-dead-end kids in that the first book was really about the tight-knit group of kids who leaned on each other for everything and that's how they kind of got through their personal traumas uh and in this book we've got a group of three kids who our former friends who, who grew up together and kind of drifted apart uh, after, you know, those ripple effects from 9-11 sort of came into their lives and changed everything. Um, so we've got this, this group of three kids who aren't the group and they're kind of dealing with their issues in a silo. Um, and this is, you know, like I said, sort of the reverse scenario of the first book. So COVID has messed 
everything up this year. Uh, how have you adapted to the lack, not only to like the lack of conventions, but also like how did the pandemic affect your work on the suburb, uh, suburban job? That's a good question. Um, let me answer the first half. Uh, so how, how have I adapted? Uh, honestly, like if I could say this without sounding like an awful person, like it's it's been pretty like good to me, all, all things considered. Yes, I've been stuck in the house um, with with nowhere to go and, and almost nothing to do, but I've also been wildly productive. Uh, and I think that's probably been my coping mechanism. Like rather than face what's going on in the world, I've been just keeping busy and keeping my head down, um, which is great because I'm like almost two years ahead on my writing. I've, I've got projects through the end of next year, like in various stages of production. Um, I've been able to pitch some some bigger companies, some pretty cool stories. Um, and, and I've gotten into a pretty good productive rhythm and, and I'm looking at like ways to kind of expand what what, I, what I'm able to produce and, and, and do as a creator. Um, you know, that's not to say it hasn't been really hard, like, especially this month. I don't know what it is about this month, but like, we're like six months into this thing. And like, I think the reality that it's not changing anytime soon has, has kind of set in. Um, luckily, um, one, the one downside has been that I've not been able to exercise. Um, I am a pretty vigorous, that's not the right word, but, but I, I, when, when I, when the world was normal, I would go to the gym most days of the week. Uh, not, I'm not like a gym rat and I'm not like super fit or anything like that, but it was just like part of my creative process to kind of turn my brain off and do something mindless for a while and, and also burn a few calories. Um, so about a month ago, um, I finally broke and bought an elliptical for, for my home office, which has been just amazing, like to, to be able to like hop on that at night for 40 minutes and, and sweat and like turn my brain off and watch an episode of, of something on, on the iPad. So in terms of adapting, like I kind of still am as, as like the reality of it all continues to keep setting in, but like it's, it's been a mixed bag with a lot of silver linings, like if I'm being completely honest. Um, and then I can't remember what the second half of the question was, sorry. How did it affect your writing on the suburban job? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I was actually writing um, the book before this all hit. Um, I generally, uh, like at a high level, my, my creative processes, I'll break out the story like in, in like uh, long form, like as, as like a narrative, um, you know, prose. Um, and then I'll sort of reverse engineer the scripts from that. And I usually do like a, like a vomit pass on the script, just kind of get it out. Like something that like, you know, tells the story, even if it's not in like a very like artistic or, or, you know, very well told way, just, just something to work from kind of something to mold. And then I'll do a second pass on the script that, you know, I go in and I, I really like fine tune it and, and, and adjust things. Um, so I think I had had the, the sort of vomit draft done when all this set in and then everything kind of happened and I don't think I came back to the scripts until probably May, maybe even a little later than that. Um, so like at the very least it threw a, like a, like a wrench in, in every, like my process and, and how I would normally go about in terms of timetable. Um, but also part of that was because we were finishing up no heroin and that was getting ready to, to launch and, and sort of promoting that. Um, this has been a weird year because I had never done two books in the same year before. Technically, uh, the suburban job will come out in January, but the promotion will happen over the, the last part of 2000 or 2020. Uh, so, yeah, it's just kind of, um, I don't think the book got like any darker. Um, I'm not sure how it could uh, because of, of, of COVID and, and anything like that. Um, I think if I was writing it today in, in September, 
um, or early October, it, I might have written it differently because like it's all have, it's set in now. Um, but back in, in May, it was still pretty fresh and we we're all kind of like optimistic that this was going to be over soon. So speaking of the pandemic, uh, people have more free time on their hands. Uh, what have been some, what are some of your personal favorites that people should put on their quarantine comic reading list? You know, I have been incredibly, uh, good about reading throughout all of this. Like I generally read like 20 or 30 single issues of, of new comics each week. Like I try to keep up with, with everything, even if I'm not necessarily into it, but like, you know, you never know, like when you're going to get like a chance to pitch for Squirrel or something. So I try to try to stay on top of stuff. Um, but I've been like digging into the back catalog of, of things that, yeah, I've always been on my radar, but never got to. Um, I read DMZ for the first time by uh, Brian Wood, who's not somebody I would suggest anyone, you know, support firsthand. But if you can get DMZ like secondhand, like used on Amazon, it's 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 a pretty good read. Yeah, um, I really like that. I've been reading Hellboy for the first time. Um, Dark Horse put out those those nice omnibus uh, trade paperbacks last year or the year before, and I've had those on my shelf for a while. Um, I'm almost done with like the third of, of four and, and it's, just, it's just good. Like it's really deep over and, and, and Mike Mignola's art is just, it's, you know, it, it really is unique unto itself. Unlike almost anything else. Th those two are definitely worth checking out. Um, I started in on Transmetropolitan, which was really good, but then I kind of had to step away from it after all that Warren Ellis news came out just, you know, for a little bit, just to kind of palate cleanse. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the Hickman, uh, Dawn of X books, uh, all of them, honestly, are, are for the most part really good. Um, I've really been enjoying, um, just from like a structural point of view, like what he's doing there, um, like especially taking a flagship book like X-Men and making this kind of one-off, every book is a one-shot, but it also builds over, you know, the course of 12 issues. It's There's some really cool stuff going on there. And it's just wild. Like it's, like I just read, uh, X-Men number 12, the, the last issue before X of Swords starts. And like in one issue, he turned the X-Men franchise into like Game of Thrones. And it's just wild. Like I love everything they're doing over there. Even like the not great stuff is still a lot of fun. Yeah. Speaking of X-Men, like I, I've been reading Hickman stuff too. And like, especially like early on, like first few issues, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm loving every second of it. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like now now that there's like twelve issues, like I'm starting to see like how it's all working together. Like the, like no two issues back to back except for I think two of them have actually continued the story from the previous one. Mm -hmm. But like you look at like issues like five, seven, and twelve, like it, it tells a story, you know, across all three without like the barrier to entry if you haven't read their previous one. It's it's really cool stuff, I think. Um, anyone paying attention to the, the X-Men franchise as a whole right now and like for the next couple of years is going to kind of see what the future shape of, of like uh, independent, not independent, uh, intellectual property comics like Marvel and DC might look like. Um, and it's, it's something I'm paying a lot of attention to. So uh, the last time that we spoke, you brought up the importance of pre-ordering comics. Uh, how has 2020 increased that importance? <sighs> Man, uh, incredibly. Is, is, that, is that a good answer? Um, <laughs> it's, so th this year is really wild because, you know, obviously comic shops were closed for, for a few weeks. Most of them, some of them still are closed. Some of them have closed permanently. Um, and, and more than ever, like I'm highly in tune with the idea that like these comic shops, like they, they survive week to week. Like think of like somebody living on like a week to week paycheck type situation. That's kind of the situation all comic shops are on because of the way the industry is structured. Um, and, and those Wednesday 
shipments are cash infusions that keep the, the business going. Like that might not be their, their biggest channel for revenue. Uh, it might be graphic novels, it might be online sales, but it is a cash boost that is regular and it's every Wednesday. Um, so like, you know, more than ever, I'm like aware that, that pre-orders are, are a big deal, but also like as, as the kind of second new speculation boom has been kind of taking root and, and, and solidifying over the last couple of years, and seeing like the mad rush for for hot books, um, yeah, not not to toot my own horn, but Dead and Kids and, and No Heroin both really did well. Both did well with the speculators, and um, were both under pre-ordered. Uh, and you know, it's kind of like a mad rush to to get copies of this thing. Like, and and you know, from this year to last, or from last year to this year rather. Um, I've gained more fan base and people are more aware of what I'm doing in, in, in my work. Uh, so like I, there was a huge jump in pre-orders from, from dead end kids to, to no heroin. Um, but we still kind of encountered the same problems where, you know, I had people reaching out to me on Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and, and wherever, you know, my, my, my personal email um, saying, Hey, can I get copies of this book? I couldn't find it. And like, I just keep telling people, we gotta pre-order stuff. Like, if you like a creator, whether it's Chip Zdarsky or or Scott Snyder or or Rob Liefeld, if you like him, um, and they're they're putting out a book, you need to walk into your comic shop or call them or email them or whatever and tell them you want that book if you want it. Like, it's I don't think that this is something that um, distribution is gonna fix. So it's something that readers are gonna continue to have to take a more active role in. Like, pay attention to the people you like, and when they have something to buy, buy it and make sure you get that pre-order. Speaking of uh, No Heroin, uh, it's done incredibly well so far. Uh, for anyone who's been under a rock, what is No Heroin all about? No Heroin is my love letter to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, I grew up watching Buffy. I started watching it way too young. Um, I watched the series premiere in, I think it was March of, of 1997 when I was nine years old. Um, and I, you know, even at like a really young age, I, I recognized that what they were doing with Joss Whedon and, and the rest of the writers and creators on that show were doing was really special storytelling that it wasn't like anything else on TV and that it was, that it was deeper than what I was used to seeing on television. Um, and as I've grown older and, and, and become a writer myself, like I just have this incredibly deep appreciation for it. I'm not like a big magic mysticism monsters kind of guy. And like, I like hard sci-fi, you know, Hickman, you know, Remender stuff. Um, but I've always loved Buffy and I wanted to tell a Buffy story. Um, but you know, I'm never probably going to get the right Buffy. Only a handful of people ever get the right on the property. And, and there are a lot more talented people out there than me who are doing it right now. Um, so I kind of told myself I would eventually write my own, you know, whatever that would be. Um, it was sort of a matter of finding the right angle into it. Uh, so uh, No Heroin is the story of a young woman named Kayla, who is a, a recovering drug addict who is um, kind of gets thrown into a life of monster hunting, uh, sort of anti-chosen one story. She doesn't choose it. She just kind of falls into it. Um, and it's, you know, on the surface, it's a, you know, Buffy book. It's a young woman fighting monsters, but really the book is, um, you know, sort of my angle into it was you know, this woman's journey of, of becoming a more whole person as she recovers from her addiction and tries to sort of mend the fences she's knocked over, you know, because of her, her issues. Do you prefer to tell uh, your own stories or do you have an itch to one day write an established character like Superman or Spider-Man? And if so, what character would you want to write for? 
I, I mean, I definitely love telling my own stories. I, I have lots that I want to tell. I, like, I mean, I'm for, for the next 10 years, I probably have enough ideas to, to put out two books each year. Uh, maybe then some. Uh, but yeah, I definitely love to, to do some established characters too. There, there are some properties that are near and dear to my heart, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers that like I grew up on and I, you know, I'd love to get in there and, and, you know, leave a mark on there, you know, just, you know, be part of that sort of tapestry of creativity. Um, there are some characters that I, I really love, like Hawkeye. I think he's just the, the greatest Marvel character. He's just a regular guy of the bone arrow. He's out there running around with Captain America and Thor doing his thing. Um, Iron Fist, I think, um, especially after the the Matt Fraction and Brubaker and uh, David Alhauron from about 15 years ago, like just there's that that is wide open, fertile land to explore. I'd love to tell a Black Panther story, like you know, as as the world has sort of changed and, and things have, you know, creators of more diverse backgrounds have, have come into the fold and are are getting more work. I'd hate to take a large chunk of, of Black Panther real estate away from somebody who could probably tell the story more, more authentically than me, but I, I'd love to, you know, do a one shot with T'Challa, you know, in, in Wakanda. It's just, it's just a great, you know, great creative space to, to be able to play in. Um, and I'm sure there's, there's a ton of other characters. I've got a great sort of dark Avengers pitch. That's kind of like, they're just the screwed up Justice League of, of the Marvel universe, you know, with Sentry and Moon Knight and, and Namor as like Superman, Batman and, and Aquaman. It's just like, I, I, I think that one, if I ever got to do, if I could pick one story, I would, I would do that story. Uh, so the answer is yes, I would definitely continue to write my own stories, but also I'd love to, to do some, some IP stuff. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who might be listening to this and wants to get into creating comics? Let me, let me counter that with a question for you real quick. Are you familiar with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. Okay, so there's a character on there named Dennis. He's a truly heinous human being um, who is just, he's just kind of like a chick magnet for whatever awful reason. Um, and he has this, this method for, for wooing and, and sort of trapping women. It's horrible. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's called the Dennis Method and it's an acronym <laughs> for his name. Um, so I've been trying to come up with a, a sort of writing Frank method. Um, and I've only got the, the F so far, but it's probably the most important one. And it's the one that answers this question. Um, the biggest piece of advice I can give to anyone who wants to make a comic or do something creative in general is to finish. Like, I know that's just kind of really obvious um, advice. And of, of course, duh, your, your, your goal is to get the thing done, but it's, it's more important than most people give it a lot of sort of uh, credit for. Uh, I remember, uh, wanting to write comics since I was probably about 16, 17 years old. Uh, I went to college. I've got uh, an English degree. I've got a, a communications degree. I ran my school's newspaper and learned all about print production and, and, and project management. I have two master's degrees in creative writing. Um, and, I, and I had an incredible amount of training that I sort of made happen uh, to be a better comic creator and to be one one day. And I got out of college and, and for, for five years, I didn't write any comics. Like I had a bunch of false starts and I didn't, um, and I really didn't get any traction or momentum until I got the, the first five page short story that I'd ever written and sent to an artist until I got the lettered colored pages back in my inbox from, from the letter. And like, the, like the second I saw those and looked over and I was like, this, this is the thing I made. Like it was an incredibly sort of powerful thing that, that I experienced. Um, and I kind of 
it's the same feeling I get every single time I, you know, get, get new art in and, and see a book on shelves and get to hop on a podcast now, but like none of that happens. Like there's no, no heroin, there's no, you know, comic cons, there's no nothing if I don't finish the product, if, there, if I don't make the book. Um, so the, the absolute most important thing you can do is, is finish. Going back to dead end kids, the suburban job, uh, when does it uh, come out? So it's going to start soliciting uh, for pre-orders in November uh, and it'll be available to pre-order through about the end of December uh, with the holidays right there at the end. I'm not sure quite when the cutoff will be, but it'll be a seven or eight week window starting at the beginning of of November. Um, And then the first issue will come out, I think the last week of January, definitely in January, the the third or fourth week. Um, Those are, that's usually when source point press books come out. Um, and then it'll run for four issues uh, through April. Awesome. And uh, how can pre- people pre-order the book? Uh, so if you're hearing this in October, uh, you can't yet because uh, it's not up for solicit. But once November 1st hits, you can walk in your comic shop. You can call your comic shop or Facebook message them, tweet at them. However you communicate with them. Uh, and just tell them that you want uh, Dead and Kids, the suburban job on your pull list. Uh, it's, it's, it's that simple. You know, like I was saying, pre-orders are super important. Um, and, and at this point, like, I think that I've got <clears throat> at least a little bit of, of uh, notoriety with, with retailers. Uh, I know a lot of them at this point. Uh, so if you just say Frank Ogle's got a new book, uh, Dead and Kids is coming out, uh, the suburban job, Dead and Kids too. You know, just what it, however you can telegraph to them that you, you want this book. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we also are going to be offering uh, a few incentive covers for the book. Uh, I've been very lucky that every book I've ever worked on, uh, which is only two others so far, uh, I've had the incredible Ben Templesmith do a variant cover for the book. Uh, he did a great one for Anomaly Comics for Dead Ink Kids Volume 1. He did a really great retailer incentive uh, for No Heroin, and we're going to have another Ben Templesmith uh, 1 in 10 incentive for Dead Ink Kids the suburban job number one. Uh, so for every 10 copies of shop orders, they can order uh, one copy of the Temple Smith cover. cover. Uh, we will also have a one in five incentive uh, from Ryan Kincaid, who did a couple of really awesome uh, No Heroin covers. Uh, he did our San Diego Comic-Con exclusive and uh, one for Comics Elite. Uh, but we'll have a, a one in five Kincaid cover uh, and there will be a one in five cover for all four issues and uh, they'll all be by Ryan and they're going to be a connecting set. So if you get all four, you can pop them together to create a larger image. And I was just looking at the, the finished set of four today. It, just, it looks incredible. It's, it's very poignant. It's awesome. The colors are incredible. It's um, yeah. So we got a little bit of something for everyone. For people who just want to check out the book, you can just get the, the main cover, which is by Chris Madigan. Um, they'll have the same kind of cover dress as the, the original series with the strong solid color background with like gray and white figures on the front. Uh, little, little, you know, uh, variations on that, that theme and format this time around just to keep it fresh and do a little, little different, but they'll the, the look great. We'll have the one in five for collectors. We'll have the one in 10 for collectors. It's, it's going to be really awesome. And, and, just, there's going to be a ton of great covers. There are there are a few retailer exclusives in the works too. I can't really say anything about those yet, but uh, there, there's going to be something for everyone. But if you want to pre-order the book, all you got to do is tell your, your shop and just make sure you do. Uh, you know, it's, it's super important. Awesome. Yeah, you, you had me already from just before we even started talking, but now with connecting covers, I mean, the, those are have always been kind of my jam. Yeah, th- these ones are really, really just just 
solemn, solemn, just really, really beautiful. Like a little bit melancholy, really just great, great art. Um, I'm excited for people to see all four together at the end of April. Last question, not really a question, but just take this opportunity. How can people find you online? Uh, you know, use this chance to say anything else you want to say. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I'm online, obviously. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything is just my name, one word, Frank Ogle. So it's twitter.com slash Frank Ogle, uh, Instagram.com slash Frank Ogle, uh, Facebook.com slash Frank Ogle. That's my personal account. Um, I don't mind people connecting with me. Maybe you're a creator and you want to you know, pick my brain. By all means, send me a friend request. Maybe you like dead end kids and you know heroin and you want to connect. That's fine too. As long as you're not like rocking a swastika in your profile picture, I'll, I give most people the benefit of the doubt. So yeah, connect with me however you want to connect and however you like to connect. Um, I do a newsletter. That's probably the best way to keep up with everything. It sort of concentrates everything into one place. And yeah, there's no algorithms. It just hits your inbox. Uh, there's signups for that on Twitter and, and Instagram. And I post about a lot on Facebook. So wherever you end up connecting with me, there's opportunities to, to get the newsletter there. Yeah, those are the big ones. And, you know, I don't really have anything like fresh or new to say, but uh, I will, again, stress that if, if you hear about a book from a creator you like, be sure to pre-order it. You know, it's, it's the way comics works. Um, and it's, it's a way that you can guarantee that you get the thing. Like, I know so many people who, like, don't pre-order stuff and they like rush to their comic shops at 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning to try and get copies of the book. Uh, but five out of 10 times, you know, the retailer didn't even order the book. So there's no copies to get. Uh, and you can kind of cut all those corners and avoid all those issues. If you just pre-order the book, if you're going to buy it anyway, what does it matter if you tell them seven weeks early, right? Like it's, it's, it's a no brainer and I don't understand why more people don't do it. So pre-order your damn comics. Um, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us again. I, it really means a lot. Uh, and just, yeah, I can't wait to read anything and everything that you put out. Um, yeah, super exciting stuff. Good. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And I, I think I said this last time, I'm going to say it again. I mean it. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, everyone always thanks me for coming on. Like I've done them some kind of a favor, but this is, this is your Wednesday night and this is your time editing and your time promoting and your time, you know, just all, all the different things you have to put in this. I just get to sit on the other side of the computer and talk for, for a half hour or to an hour. Uh, so I, I appreciate you and I appreciate you letting me, you know, talk to you, to your people for a little bit. Um, and, and, I, and I hope we get to do it again someday. Awesome. Yeah. Well, best of luck. Take care. And uh, yeah, looking forward to January. That's going to do it for this episode of The Geek Awakens. We'll be back next week, but in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll be posting news throughout the week. Uh, while you're there, give us some feedback and tell us what cool stuff we're missing out on. Any questions, comments, or concerns, then shoot us an email at thegeekawakenspodcast at gmail.com. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to catch you next time. Good night.